I am God, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. I'll stay with you. I'll protect you wherever you go. And I'll bring you back to this very ground. I'll stick with you until I have done everything I've promised you. These are the words of Jacob's dream as he watches angels of God going up and down a staircase. God's messengers, angels, right? Going about God's work, carrying God's message. This world connected to awaiting the next. God's message to Jacob in this dream is exceptionally powerful. The amount of trust God must have had in Jacob to promise him such things, being assured that Jacob would do what God trusted he would do, to receive such a promise from God was exceptionally powerful. Unlike with his father Abraham, there seems to be no inordinate test of Jacob to receive God's assurance about this trust. It seems Jacob has already earned it in some way. Trust, a resident theme throughout the Bible. And this reading reminds me of another one about trust and about covenant. Which one do you think I'm going to stake? Ruth and Naomi. Remember the story? After Elimelech, Naomi's husband, dies, and then her two sons, Malon and Chilion, die, Naomi says to his, her daughters-in-law's daughters-in-law to return to their mothers and to marry again. Orpah, the daughter-in-law who married Chilion, in fact does. However, Ruth remains saying these familiar words to her mother-in-law. Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Ruth, Naomi, Jacob, Abraham, these are just a few of the examples of the foundational aspects of the covenant throughout these books and history of mankind, humankind. Agreements, commitments, faithfulness, trustworthiness, these and others lift up the ways in which we are not only able to live together on a day-to-day -day basis, but to discover our relationship with God and to God and all that that means. And I say discover because our relationship with God already is there. Whether we acknowledge it or not, or know it or not, we already have a connection to God. Scripture and Jesus' teachings in particular are all about the discovery process through His amazing works, His parables, His teachings, and more. And aside from Jesus, whether through angels or God or the prophets or the teachings of others, the narratives are always about the great and wonderful promise of God, the love of God that is already there no matter what 
has somehow been missed. It's there. Whether it's been ignored, whether it's been forgotten, whether it's been disbelieved, or lay undiscovered for other reasons, it is always there, and it is always nudging in some way. These writings, these worship gatherings of ours, if nothing else, are about somehow strengthening that discovery and that renewal of God and God's lives, God's love in our lives. Adding to that faithfulness and the desire to be faithful that we have. Seeking ways to bringing us closer. Closer to one another. Closer to knowing. Knowing the power. The power of God's all-encompassing love and its healing authority. The promise of God sticking with us through thick and through thin and always coming through. Always helping us with our work in this kingdom of God until the time of the final, the ultimate reunion that awaits us all. And I think Jesus articulates this exceptionally well in John 14, speaking to his disciples about such things as worry and sorrow and pain. He finally says, do not let your heart be troubled. You trust God, don't you? Trust me. There's plenty of room for you in my father's, my mother's house. If that weren't so, would I have told you that I'm on my way to get a room ready for you? In other words, why have I to you? And if I'm on my way to get your room ready, be sure I'll come back and get you so you can live where I will live. The Greek syntax, anybody here ever write diagrams in high school or grammar school in, in English, you know, the subject, verb, object, articles, adjectives, prepositional phrases, all of those things. Well, Greek is like that. It reads like a diagram. But here's the Greek syntax for that first line. No let be being disturbed of you, the heart. No let be being disturbed of you, the heart. Be believing into God and into me be believing. Be believing into God, into and into me. It's an inside job. It sometimes begins in the head and moves into our being. Other times it moves from deeply inside of us, creeping up into our thoughts in ways that can take a while for us even to know we're there. And ultimately we accept the difference between the two between the head and the heart as faith, as a covenant of trust, and as a refusal to let anything trouble or make us unbelieving. We know this is not easy. Let's face it. There is no book in the Bible called Done. They got it. No such books. Instead, the narratives go on and on and we read and reread. There is a great sense, along with this trust of perseverance between the covers of the Bible, a total lack of giving up, except in the narratives about giving up that always end up turned around at the end to a lesson on perseverance and trust in God. Now, I don't know why, but it seems that our human condition 
has always had trouble with certain things. For example, needing to know what tomorrow will bring. Gotta know. And getting there fast. Perhaps it's the sense of the limitation of our time on earth speeding us up and the eternal life that is ahead struggling to eliminate the sense of the finality or death that we anticipate and that they are always somehow teeter-tottering, often in painful opposition, if not confusing, as they draw inexorably closer and closer together. We want what we want now, but at the same time, we want to be relieved of this wanting, driving obsession we sometimes know. Intermittently, we seek the way of moving into fullness, peace, and the serenity of a spiritual life, and then suddenly find ourselves abruptly swung back into our own selves and our own fears. Now, this morning in Matthew's retelling of Jesus' stories, most likely compiled, collected and compiled over a period of time and then presented as if they had all happened in one day, there's several points that Jesus in Matthew makes. Lesson. The first story, we will need to live with those who attempt to thwart us or distract us, such as the weeds or the thistles among the wheat. Let them both grow. There will be time later to separate them. For to do so now, it is too easy to make mistakes. To pull up the wheat with the thistles, there's too great a chance of destroying both. Let them grow so we do not mistake one for the other in time it will be easy to see. Lesson. God's kingdom grows over time, so much so that even the greatest of birds will find a home in its branches. So why shouldn't you have a home in its branches? Relax. Be patient while the kingdom of God grows. In the third reading, the story, Lesson. God's kingdom is like yeast, worked into dough that over time transforms into loaves of barley. It takes time for the yeast to become loaves of barley. Be patient. Do not be troubled. In time you will know the kingdom of God and all things will be as they have always intended to be. Do not let wars and rumors of wars distract you. Stay on the path, for you know the way. I have told you so. And it is for sure that folks back then had hard times in their days too. We really have a limited history that is very exact during the period of time in which most of these were written. We have stories and narratives and parables and things that were repeated verbally over and over during periods of time, but exact historical references, not too many. But from the teachings of Jesus and others and the topics that are addressed, it's clear that their trouble, turmoil, pain, hopelessness, despair, those things were all a part of their lives too, just as in our lives today. And think of it, if this were not so, would there be angels descending to us with messages from God? Think of it, why would God send Jesus to teach us and to be crucified, to assure us that through his resurrection, all this we see as so daunting from time to time has been conquered, that there is more than you or I see. And if God can survive 
the terrible, horrific, and painful execution of Jesus to assure us that things are true, what does that say to us? Perhaps it says that we can survive as well in the grace of God. We can somehow take our sorrow and turmoil and trouble and know that below it, always below it, in a deep and abiding peace, there is joy and promise. Now and then it feels like it is gone, but never really lost. And so now the hard part. My focus all week long has returned over and over to the death of Levi Kletsky, the eight-year-old that was abducted and murdered by a very sick person. The innocence of the child, the promise of what his future might have been, the life and the love of a child taken so abruptly and violently, all week it has been with me. And all the things that you would think of, what the child went through, what the family is dealing with, the guilt and remorse of the family of what could I have done better to prevent this, the family that has been fractured, will it heal as mine did over many years when we lost my brother in a car accident as a kid? The years that are ahead, the somehow coming to peace. And the thought, of course, how could God allow this to happen? Even with the added qualifier, again, how could God have created such a monster that would have done this? We have all experienced loss. I know the losses of some of us here. I know there will be one online friend of this congregation who will read and listen to this as she still works out the loss of her son because of medical errors by those who treated him. You know, here today it would have been a lot easier just to sort of skim over the top of life, defining sanctuary, even this sanctuary, as a place where we are somehow spiritually removed from reality, that we come here to disappear into a vaulted room and the escape it provides, the space that can anesthetize the pain, a pain that when we take that path begins to throb as Christian plays the last note on the postlude and we leave the space. We can't do that. We can't. We can't avoid or dismiss our world in which we are trying to find God's will for us by reading and studying what others trying to do the same in their lives seek in the words of the gospel. We cannot separate the two. For at the time that these gospels were written, they did not exist in a world that was free of conflict. It was quite the opposite. They were written for going through those periods of time. And I will be the first to stand here and say we don't have answers for why Levy was taken, why the attacks of 9-11 took place, why loved ones are lost because of medical errors. It's not about answers, at least not for us, but about ways of going forward. And the way of going forward, at least from these readings and my experience, and maybe yours, is finding a way to trust in God. 
What we do have to go forward are the words we read, such as this morning, the teachings we continue to discover, and in their meaning and their depth, the promise of a risen Jesus that even the most heinous of acts against the most innocent cannot hold us from the love of God or God's love from us. And we have one another in this community believing together. Jesus told us, where two or more are gathered in my name, so too am I. And he is. And none of this still is easy. None of it. But it is to say that we can rely on the covenant that God has made with us. We really can, just as others have relied on God's covenants in the past. We can rely on the presence of God and one another. We can rely on the teachings we study and attempt to practice in our own lives. We can rely on these things. And as on the road to Emmaus, we can rely for God to walk with us in the pain, in the suffering, for God knows such things. And we can in the process know that there is only incredible, wonderful, and holy ahead for us. The incredible, wonderful, and holy that those who have already transitioned now embrace regardless of the way in which their transition may have been made. It is a matter of faith. It is a matter of working to fill in the gap between the head and the heart with trust in God. It is stronger at times and weaker at others, but it's never really gone. It is always there to be rekindled, getting us through with even the smallest of its embers aglow, promising that where we go, God will go, that the covenant is intact and stronger than anything that might ever threaten it, and that God is always with us and those in our hearts. So knowing these things, believing these things, please join me in calling on God for the Klipsky family and all those you hold dear. Calling on God for the strength to get through these toughest of days and to have joy for those in God's incredible, wonderful, and holy care and receiving in the process the knowledge that this is so, but above all, the faith that it is true. And let us together continue to pray and discover the incredible, the wonderful, and the holy in our midst, always. And may the peace of God be with you all. Amen.